So welcome back. We'll give everyone a little more time to arrive, just a couple more seconds. Welcome back. Okay. Um, I put the prayer in the chat. If some of you wanted to see that prayer I started with from Maladoma Somay. So, dear friends, um, some of us may have heavy hearts after the results of the COP26 gathering, or we may still be gathering information and trying to make sense of where we're at at this point in time. And um, what I'd like to speak to is the, the power of falling in love with the earth as a, as a practice, as a spiritual practice at this point in our human history. Um, so this is a a teaching from Thich Nhat Hanh, who uh, is my teacher, and I refer, many of his students refer to him as Thai in Vietnamese, it means teacher. And so this is his thoughts on falling in love with the earth. He says, we can all experience a feeling of deep admiration and love when we see the great harmony, elegance, and beauty of the earth. A simple branch of cherry blossom, the shell of a snail or the wing of a bat, all bear witness to the earth's masterful creativity. When we can truly see and understand the earth, love is born in our hearts. We feel connected. That is the meaning of love, to be at one. Only when we've truly fallen back in love with the earth will our actions spring from reverence and the insight of our interconnectedness. Yet many of us have become alienated from the earth. We are lost, isolated, and lonely. We work too hard, our lives are too busy, and we're restless and distracted, losing ourselves in consumption. But the earth is always there for us, offering us everything we need for our nourishment and healing. The miraculous grain of corn, the refreshing stream, the fragrant forest, the majestic snow-capped mountain peak, and the joyful bird song at dawn. So, he goes on to say that we really need to wake up and fall in love with the earth. That, that this love and admiration for the earth can really 
unite us, remove our boundaries, our separation and discrimination. And that what we really need is to develop real community and cooperation. We need more than new technology and science to protect the planet. We need each other. We need to really see and deeply embrace each other. And so he, he says, cherishing our precious earth, falling in love with the earth is not an obligation it is a matter of personal and collective happiness and survival. So he's saying our survival depends on being able to fall in love with the earth and also really see ourselves as one community. And so to love, to love the earth, we have to be there. We have to be present. So we need to become present in our bodies and minds with what's in us, with what's around us. When I touched these memories in the meditation, what was so powerful about the things that came to mind from my past was that I was really present with whatever it was, right? That's the only way we could have that kind of real sense of being connected is because we, we were there, right? Not, not in our minds, not in our worries and, and planning. And so, so mindfulness really helps us to be fully here with life all around and inside us. And this, this tapping into the times when we've been present with the natural world, when we felt we belonged, when we felt at home, it's a, it's a really important practice. Of, of touching the actual truth that we, we are part of this planet. We're not separate and cut off. We can feel lonely. We can feel isolated, especially if we're in situations with the pandemic where we can't be with the people we are used to being with. But these refreshing memories or experiences point to some other reality. We really do belong in this world. We have a place. So when I was eight or nine, I, I was living in Kenya at the time. And I accompanied my dad on a trip to Mombasa, to the coast. 
he was attending a meeting at a in a village and i found this big probably like a i don't know what kind of tree it was maybe big tropical tree with those very big branches that go horizontal for a long time before they go vertical perfect tree for climbing and i remember lying down on this big tr- trunk or branch of a tree that was more horizontal and how i i was really present I was feeling the hot, heavy, humid air, the buzzing of the cicadas, taking in the sky, just feeling the solidity of the branch underneath me, and how I really felt in that moment everything was okay. Nothing was wrong, nothing was missing that I knew I belonged, that I was loved just as I am. I also had a bag of my favorite candies called goody goodies that were caramels. (laughs) That gave me a lot of joy. (laughs) But that memory has stayed with me my whole life of just really being there. That I wasn't just taking in that environment, but that environment was taking me in also. It was two ways. So So this is so important to go back and savor these moments and let them teach us and let them instruct us about the reality of what Mary Oliver, the poet, writes of our place in the family of things. We have a place in the family of things. So... We can address the crisis we're in by falling in love with the earth. When we connect with our awe, our reverence, our deep inspiration, we will protect what we love. One of the memories that came up in this meditation also was when I was a teenager, when I was turning a teenager that summer, I went on a kind of rite of passage trip with other young people my age. And one of the things we had to do was spend a whole 24 hours alone, each of us at the edge of this lake, and we had to do certain things build our own fire and dig our own, you know, bathroom pit, the right distance from the water, kind of wilderness skills. Um, But it was really my first time being alone in the wilderness for a whole 24 hours. And I hadn't really thought about it until 
this meditation just tonight and I realized part of what I really got from that experience is that was a sense of confidence of you know it was a little scary it was probably more than a little scary to be sleeping it was a full moon at least that night but having never done that before I had to be with and and overcome that fear and I did and I came out on the other side pretty you know something else was there in me this sense of wow I'm I can can be in the natural world and go through hardship and survive and um so i i lead uh, retreats for teens um i have for many years and i had a chance to do a wilderness retreat with teens some years ago we did the same thing with them we so we we we're hiking through the California wilderness. We'd have these evenings where we would all lay down with our head in the middle of a circle, our feet pointing out and just look at the stars. And someone would see a shooting star and, oh, did you see it? Did you see it? And everyone would be so thrilled just by watching this, the starry sky at night. It was a very beautiful experience of being together in nature, letting nature instruct us. And, and we also, and they got a chance to do this 24 hours in a solo on their own, no phones, no talking to other, other teens. And they had the very deep insights about themselves, about the world, about being able to trust not being able to relinquish the need to control, being able to be in silence with themselves, knowing that life would care for them and that they could be okay with themselves as they are. So, so this falling in love with the earth. It's also falling in love with each other. We're not separate from the earth. I had the, the huge pleasure of learning about and meeting John Francis. This was during our Spirit Rock teacher training. He's an African-American environmentalist a peacemaker who walked across the entire United States and other countries as well in walking pilgrimage. He kept silence for 17 years and didn't ride in motorized vehicles for 22 years after witnessing the devastation caused by an oil spill in the San Francisco Bay in 1977. So he writes this, 
If people are indeed part of the environment, how we treat ourselves and each other provides the first opportunity to treat the environment in a sustainable way, or even to understand the very nature of sustainability. Therefore, in the multidisciplinary field of environmental studies, we must include other ways that human beings relate to one another. We as a species would have to end war, oppression, exploitation, and tyranny, because how we treat each other manifests in our physical environment. That's from his book, The Ragged Edge of Silence. So we need to broaden our understanding of healing our environment to include healing ourselves, healing the discrimination, the violence between, between us. And so addressing all kinds of oppression is part of addressing the destruction of our environment. That's, it's crucial for us to have an effective response. And this kind of approach would also attract and nurture a much needed diversity of all kinds in the mainstream environmental movement, which has from its beginning in the US um, has been influenced by and supported white supremacist ideals and has remained mostly white, male, heterosexual, and moneyed. So when we heal our human wounds, we also bring healing to the earth. So there's a direct link between what's happening at the planetary level and the systems of oppression that deny some people the chance to live, to, to develop their full potential. And whenever one group thinks it can live at the expense of another group, it ends up being very expensive in the end for everyone. When one gender lives at the expense of another gender, when one race, when one nation, when one religion, it always leads to the ultimate reduction in quality of life for everyone. The climate scientist and Zen teacher Kriti Kanko from India, she says white supremacy is the mother of the climate crisis. This fundamental ignorance of taking one group to be human or more human and other groups as less than human, it's, it's at the root of our destruction of the planet. Seeing other people, other beings, other species as less valuable than our own and therefore dispensable.
So if drought and starvation were affecting millions of people in the United States, our children, our grandchildren, we would do something. We would figure out how to reorganize things. At the recent COP26 climate summit in Glasgow, a Kenyan climate activist, Elizabeth Wanjiru Watuti, outlined the price developing countries have to pay for the pollution, which comes from this fundamental discrimination of thinking some people don't matter as much. And so we can live in ways that deprive them of uh, a dignified life. So she talked about the price developing countries pay for this pollution by developed nations. And this is from an MSN article by Collins Omulo. He says, the founder of the Green Generation Initiative, an organization that nurtures young people to love nature and be environmentally conscious at a young age, detailed, this is uh, Miss Elizabeth, is the founder, she detailed how many millions of children in Sub-Saharan Africa are suffering from the failure by the developed countries to take decisive action in the fight against global climate change. In a moving speech at the closing of the opening ceremony, the 26-year-old pointed out how more than 2 million Kenyans are facing climate-related starvation. The situation, she explained, has been caused by failing rainy seasons in the past year, with the situation only set to get worse, with scientists saying it may be another 12 months before the waters return again. This has left rivers across the country dry, harvests failing, and storehouses empty, with animals and people dying, calling for action from global leaders to reverse the alarming trend. And then she says from her speech, I need to tell you what is happening in my home right now as you sit comfortably here in this conference center in Glasgow. I have seen with my own eyes three young children crying at the side of a dried up river after walking 12 miles with their mother to find water. Please open your hearts. The, decision, this, the decisions you make here will determine whether the rains will return to our land. They will determine whether the fruit trees we plant will live or perish. They will determine whether children will have food and water. And she also said that by 2025, half of the world's population will be facing water scarcity. That's in four years. But more alarming is that by 2050, the climate crisis will have displaced 86 million people in sub-Saharan Africa alone. 
This despite adults in the region only being responsible for just half a percentage of harmful emissions, while the children are responsible for none. So she talked about needing to open our hearts to feel this injustice, to feel this pain, let our hearts break, to let this reality in. Because when we refuse to feel that, that's the cutting off, that's how dehumanization and oppression can happen. And we don't see ourselves as connected with each other. So this practice of falling in love with the earth, falling in love with each other, falling in love with these young people in Kenya who don't have water, who don't have food. It's also a practice of taking care of this moment because we can't love someone in the future. We can only love someone or something in the present. So we need to take care of this moment. The future is made of this moment. If we can take care of the present, we can take care of the future. If we can live deeply in this moment, we can live deeply in the future, which will only become more complex, more uncertain than it is now. So Paul Hawken uh, was part of this collaborative process of Project Drawdown, this book that researches people from all over the world, many of them from the global south. What are the best responses that will help remove carbon from the atmosphere. He talks about not acting out of urgency. And he says, a quality of practice and meditation is remarkably more effective than responding out of urgency. When we, when we are triggered about what's, you know, all that needs to happen, that's the amygdala response. We start to feel anxiety. He says, you know you're off base as soon as you feel this. So he talks about the need to come together in respectful ways that are based on listening. He says, a lot of politicians are talking about a future existential threat. It's good science, he says, but it's not a place to dwell. It's not a place that leads us to taking effective and um, skillful action. So he talks about regeneration, which is the title of his next book. What regeneration says is, if we're going to reverse climate crisis, we must pay attention to current human needs. And that if humanity isn't paying attention, it's because we aren't paying attention to humanity. And that if the climate movement isn't directed towards the needs of the vulnerable, the impoverished and disenfranchised, and those suffering right now who will only suffer more, then we aren't serious about it. 
So it's not a top-down solution. He says, this isn't going to come from the top. This is going to come from our us taking, taking agency, right? So, so taking action is an antidote to despair. There's a, a lot we could be despairing about, right? With all of the bad news and we still don't seem to get it and our countries still don't seem to be making, they're making some good changes, but not enough, right? So this is from a book by a dear friend, Kate Johnson, Radical Friendship, Seven Ways to Love Yourself and Find Your People in an Unjust World. This came out in August. I want to read you a story she tells about taking action. She went to the cop uh, climate change conference in Paris in 2015. So this is what she says. We kicked off our convening at a monastery in Rome. It's young faith leaders from around the world that she was with. And there was, it started with a presentation by leaders from regions that were being hit hardest by the climate crisis. I listened to firsthand accounts of unprecedented storms, wildfire, wildfires, droughts, and rising temperatures, and saw pictures of the effects on the land, animals, and people, predominantly poor people and people of color. When the climate activist Betty Barca showed us images of the eroding coastlines in her homeland of Fiji, a result of sea levels rising, she delivered a message from her elders as well. They told me to ask you to please send earth, send sand, she said through her tears. What we had is slipping away. That was when I lost it. I walked out to the bathroom and sobbed in despair. The climate disaster seemed too far gone. I couldn't see a way out of this mess. I felt so far from the center of decision-making, unable to contribute to stopping the crisis in any meaningful way. When I dried my tears and left the bathroom, I saw Yeb Sanyo sitting on a bench across the courtyard, looking up at the sky. Yeb was one of the organizers of the convening, a climate delegate from the Philippines who was leading a pilgrimage on foot from Rome to Paris. I sat down next to him and looked out over the yard. How's it going, he asked. Fresh tears started rolling down my cheeks. He listened to me and then was silent for a while. You know what I do when I feel powerless? He asked, I ask myself three questions. First, what do I love? What do I love so much that it lights up my heart that I would protect it with my life? The second question is, what is my skill set? What do I know how to do and do well? And the third, well, it's not exactly a question. I just think to myself, no action is too small. It's a mini pep talk. 
And it gets me moving again when I get stuck. So we can all do something in our, in our own ways. And this is the way not to fall into despair. So we can decide what is the right action for us to take. No one can tell us what's right for us. For me, it's important that whatever this action is, whatever our response is, that it comes from a place of, of this meditation, this love that we felt for the earth, from peace, from joy. It's not about meeting you know, other people's expectations or this is what it looks like to be protecting the earth. We can find whatever our particular passion, whatever brings us joy in service to the earth, strengthening our connection to one another. So I'll end with this teaching from Nelson Mandela who says, it always seems impossible until it's done. It seems impossible to, to do something about the situation, but it's a matter of our perception. It's not the truth. And as the title of my new book, says we were made for these times. This is, this is not a mistake that we're here and that, that the situation is as it is. We have what we need to meet these times. With our practice, with each other, finding what it is we love, what it is our skill set is, and reminding ourselves no action is too small. Thank you so much for your kind attention. And we'll um, take a breath together. And we'll transition now to um, the opportunity to, to share, to ask. You can raise your hand. Jerome, you can unmute and come forward with your question. Hi, Kara Jewel. Hi, Jerome. It's so nice to see you. Thank you for a wonderful talk and meditation. I have a question and a comment. The comment is that the current issue of Tricycle Magazine has a wonderful review of regeneration, and it's really worth the read. And the question is, is uh, well, besides that, I did order the book 
from Parallax Press, but it hasn't come yet. So I'm looking forward to that. So is this the subject of your book, the climate issue is the main thing you're dealing with? Actually, well, thank you for ordering the book. And I'm sorry it's uh, delayed. I've heard from other people too that that it's there's some delays. Um, it is available in other places like Barnes and Nobles. And if I know of people being able to buy it there. But, um, you know, this book is really about my own personal experiences of moving through times of change, loss, and disruption. And it really, um, it does touch on, you know, I talk about how the way we move through our own personal experiences of, of change, of loss, of uncertainty, is also a collective practice. And I do mention the environment and the climate crisis and racism. And, um, but it's a very personal um, kind of, I take you on my journey of, of my transition from monastic life to lay life. That's kind of the, uh, one of the threads uh, of the book and reflecting on how, you know, that journey helped me really understand some things about what can help us when everything seems to be unsteady, unreliable, uncertain. And so it's, it's very much, uh, I think, you know, what we do in our own personal experiences is also what we do as a collective when things are, are, are shifting underneath our feet. So, so it's not like every chapter is about the climate crisis specifically, but the things, the teachings in each chapter, I think are helpful um, in this larger, uh, larger question. Uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing it arrive at my doorstep and being in touch with you some more. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jerome. Be well. You too. Victoria, you can unmute. Yes, thank you, Kyra, for this beautiful um, evening. And um, I'm sorry, I look a bit ghoulish, but I... I, I don't know. I'm trying to rest my eyes. Maybe it's maybe it's not the best idea with a screen. But um, anyway, very such a profound meditation. And um, I've this whole evening that you've been sharing with us, and that you know, but starting with the guided meditation, I had the realization, which I don't think I'd had consciously before, that in fact the tenderness that is in all of our hearts, or I believe it's there in every human being, I think we're endowed with that from birth, is somehow inextricably bound up with nature. I, I felt it so strongly in the guided meditation as one memory after another sort of flashed through um, my mind. And, um, and the idea of it, it not being, um, it's, what, what was the last quote um, from Nelson Mandela? It, 
It's only impossible until it's done. It's only impossible until it's done, right, which I love. Um, and I just sent someone a quote from uh, Nelson Mandela like an hour before this meeting, so it seems very synchronistic. Um, but I've there's something about um, the the it the the connection between doing things that are environmentally um, sound and sustainable and being in nature. I mean, the, well, sorry, I'm being inarticulate, but it's kind of like an insight that I had that all my friends and everyone I know ridicules me for um, always hanging out my laundry on the line. And I've never used a dryer. And, um, and I don't know a single person who commends me for it. I don't want to be commended for it. I do it because I love to be outside and I love the way the air feels. And I love the, the kind of meditative quality <laughs> of just, of just hanging out the laundry and looking up at the sky and the insects are going by and the birds. And, and then, you know, with this enormous reward at the end of the day to bring it back in with this incredible smell of, 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 you know, nature. <laughs> and, um, and I don't live out in the middle of nowhere. I, I mean, it's even better, of course, if you live out in the countryside, but somehow it just struck me tonight. And I just want to thank you for bringing those things together because I, I hadn't seen the connection um, consciously. And I think it it's empowering to, um, if we, if we perceive that connection to then, um, get more people involved to become activists in a more convincing and authentic way, because mm -hmm. um, the rewards are infinite. It's not just a, a matter of, um, you know, because I think, I think a lot of the, the environmental um, sort of injunctions, I have a friend who's, who's um, a scientist working, um, he's working on the carbon and oxygen. His father started, started it and he's carrying on um, the projects internationally but he has a very um kind of dogmatic and and judgmental way of going about you know because he's if his whole life is dedicated to this but he he doesn't inspire anyone <laughs> to put it that way yeah. and it's it's tragic because he really knows the situation intimately and it breaks his heart but somehow he just makes people feel angry. And I wonder with the recent, you know, with the results in Glasgow, if in mm -hmm. fact um, we need to turn around our whole approach to inspire people, the falling in love idea mm -hmm. is just so beautiful and so profound. Anyway, I just wanted to thank you. It, it really was um, so inspiring. And, and I, now I, I feel empowered <laughs> as an activist. Yay. <laughs> Well, I feel so inspired by your beautiful story of hanging the laundry on the line. I think you should inspire others with that story because I really know that feeling of bringing in laundry from the line and how good it smells and how good it feels to be uh, dried outside. Um, so I just, I love that. Thank you for sharing that with us and for that just very, very astute reflection that, that that's where the change can really come from when we. Okay. 
connect through love. Maybe we have time for one more question. I don't know if there's any written questions, Liliana, or, okay. Hi, Christian, go ahead. Hey, Kyra. Um, I just wanted to reflect back to you something that um, really resonated with me. You reminded me how important it is how we treat each other. Um, and uh, that sounds pretty obvious, but there are so many things that we do out of habit and out of habit energy. Um, the way that we treat each other in the store or as managers in our corporations or as parent to child. And um, I was really struck by your connecting that behavior and those habit energies to how we treat the earth, because essentially we are the earth. So that's something I'll be reflect <clears throat> reflecting on uh, in the coming days and weeks. Um, you know, what are the habitual ways that I behave with others? And how does that then, um, what does that have to say about how I treat or mindlessly treat the earth as well. So thank you, because that, that was a connecting of the dots that felt very useful to me. Mm, thank you so much for that reflection. Um, yeah, there's, there's so much that we can unpack together. Um, let, me, let me look deeply together and explore. So we'd love to hear what you discover in the next <laughs> weeks or uh, stay in touch. Yeah. Well, thank you everyone so much for this time. Um, it's really been uh, a very, very good, good time to, to connect. And, and this is not, not the most comfortable or easy kind of territory. So I just appreciate everyone's willingness, commitment, endurance, <laughs> courage to even be in this conversation because it does make us ask these heart, heartfelt questions like you raised, Christian. So let's take good care of our hearts. Uh, after this, uh, be kind to yourself and, and uh, do something soothing <laughs> for yourself, for your nervous system. And uh, just deep, deep bows to all of you for your practice. And, and may our time together here really be of benefit to all beings everywhere who are in need. Of, of love, of care, of healing. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.